Warning, this episode contains topics that may be triggering. Listener's discretion is advised. Yo, what's up, mi gente? It's Michelle, and welcome to Coño, Who Am I? So the cat is out the bag, and if you heard my trailer, you might have thought I was going to be telling the story of another person. But it's me, y'all. I'm Michelle. She is her, and her is me. Through this podcast, you will get to know me on the deepest of levels, I'll be sharing some of my most vulnerable moments in life, but all in the name of self-discovery and truly to provide guidance to others. Because navigating this racist, classist, sexist, annoying-ass country that our parents told us to be thankful to be born in can be really hard. I'll let you get to know some of the dopest people I know, my best friends, as I invite each one to share a little bit about how they also got to where they are today as successful, bomb, boss-ass women, and sometimes maybe men too. And let me not forget to mention, your girl is a licensed social worker, so you know I'll be dropping some gems for y'all in each episode to carry on with you in your journey to self-discovery. I'm on a quest to empower women of color to live in their truth, power, beauty, and most authentic self. Because your girl is still learning too. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. This is all power play. So in order to shift that, power needs to shift. So white women need to step back and say, why don't you guys have a black woman take my place on this cover? White women showing up and saying, you have a righteous anger. You're allowed to be livid at the things that we have imposed on you over history. They say, why do I have to deal with what my ancestors did? And I say, until I don't have to deal with the consequences of what happened to my ancestors, I will be holding you accountable for what your ancestors did because you're still benefiting from what they built on the backs of people exactly. of color. Right. Accountability. Mm-mm-mm. That was Rachel Cargill, you heard, speaking nothing but straight facts on Jada Pickett-Smith's Red Table Talk about white privilege and how she feels about white women's role in her life. And there isn't much I disagree with her on. Growing up in Washington gave me access to a variety of people, but particularly a variety of different types of white people as well. And although all my experiences weren't negative ones, enough of them were that created a specific white people defense mechanism within me. Like I mentioned before, I grew up in a small town that was predominantly of people of color, but white people ran and held all the positions of power in that town, like the mayor, the seats on the school board, the police department, the local newspaper, and most teaching positions. These positions were the ones that controlled and dictated what people that looked like me did and were allowed to do through policies and procedures applied. For example, in school I particularly remember dress code signs being hung up by our white staff members that read things like, would your priest or pope approve of this? Mind you, most of the white people in our school system were not Catholic, but were Mormon, so they did not believe in priests and popes. So the mind games that these people were trying to play with us kids were fucked up. Not to mention the unfairness in which these rules were then implemented through personal biases that these teachers held towards certain kids based on race. Why was it that when I wore the same skirt as fucking Sally, 
which is the name we're gonna use just so that I don't give away real names, literally was the same length and tightness below my knee, myself would get sent home to change while Sally got to live her best fucking life. I'll tell you why. Because black and brown girls are hypersexualized at a young age. So while Sally gets to live her youth, I'm being treated like a grown ass woman. But y'all, I was fucking 11, 11 years old. Let's not forget by this point, I've already been called the N-word by the age of six, which by the way, he must have learned somewhere, right? And I am gonna guess that somewhere was at home, which means his parents were using the N-word. And I'm gonna go with that. Now I'm getting treated different than little Sally because of white people's discomfort with my body. Now let's discuss the microaggressions that are happening on a daily basis. So let's start with the failing to learn to pronounce or continuing to mispronounce the names of students after we have corrected them multiple times. And this is happening at school. That's why I went from Michelle Pinales to Michelle Pinales because my name kept getting chopped up and fucked up. Let's discuss how my fucking school district also set low expectations for all the brown students, but the bar was then risen for all the white students. Why you ask? Because these white people didn't believe us black and brown folk would make it very far if we were challenged. And I would just like to say, look at me now, bitches. How about the compliments on my good English? Why would they assume that my English would be anything less than proficient than fucking Sally's or Connor's because of my skin color? Isn't that interesting, Mr. Racist White Teacher? And how could I forget one of my favorite microaggressions? having us engage in required readings where the protagonists were always white. However, I had one teacher in middle school who really went out of her way to have us read some diverse shit, like the book, like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. And this teacher was one of those dope ass white people. And I'm definitely gonna talk to you guys about what that all means. Her name was Mrs. Beeman. Ah, Mrs. Beeman. She was a dope ass lady. I have so many positive memories of her, really going above and beyond to make sure all her students had an equitable education. Mrs. Beeman was not out here doing dumb white people shit, although she was a white woman. In fact, I remember a specific moment that I'll never forget and I'll always cherish. Y'all remember accelerated reading books? AR for short. Well, apparently at the beginning of the school year, our school would order specific AR tests for specific books that they thought the kids would read. Well, if y'all could imagine, the test chosen were never of those books that were inclusive or diverse. So one week, I had increased my reading level, and at the level that I sat, a lot of these like Jane Austen books were at that level. And if I'm honest, I did not give two fucking fucks about Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. To this day, fucking can't stand Jane Austen. So I did my own research and I found out that Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings was actually at the same level as Jane Austen's books. But we didn't have any tests for it. So I asked Miss Beeman if I could read it. And she was like, of course, of course I want you to read it. Give me the weekend though, Michelle, so that you can start it on Monday. What I didn't realize is that Ms. Beeman was gonna go reread the book over the weekend and make a test for it for me so that I could get the points for it regardless if our school had considered to provide us with the diverse reading opportunities or not. Ms. Beeman made it a point that I know she wanted me to read a dope ass brown and black book that had characters in it reflected like myself. And I'll always remember that. 
My little town had different types of racist white people. You had your passive aggressive type, which made up a lot of the town, and who never really said anything to your fucking face, right? Just like passive aggressive shit that wasn't explicit. Then you just have your aggressive type, people who are feeling very comfortable just saying the N-word and calling people illegals. But some of the most prominent types were the ones that were really nice to your face, but still treated you like they saw you as inferior. And that was just such a trip for me because those were the parents of my classmates and those were some of the teachers. So it was so fucking weird. But through all of this, I met my godmother. And if I haven't already told you, she's white. But again, another one of those dope white people. And I'll explain that to y'all. What makes a white person dope? Because there are specificities to this shit. But I digress. Then I went to college. And well, although it wasn't my first time around white people, it was my first time being outnumbered by them because I attended a predominantly white school. And that exposed me to all kinds of fuckery. These motherfuckers were trying to touch my hair, the very few times that I was wearing it natural because in college is when I went through my phases of straightening the shit out of my hair. But these stupid people were talking about, I don't see color. I'm like, are you fucking blind? Cause that is the color of my skin. Or like Halloween parties where white people were dressed up in not full costumes of nurses and fucking witches, but of Native American people, Mexican people, people wearing fucking sarapes and sombreros, or people in full on blackface. The type of shit you see on the show Dear White People on Netflix or the fucking movie. It was also the first time I was ever fetishized by a white guy. And I remember having to tell this guy that his whiteness and the fact that I had a fucking boyfriend at the time had everything to do with why I was not interested. And he was so entitled and no one had ever said no to this white man, which we all know is part of white privilege, that he was honestly shocked that I would deny him. Like he was the fucking prize and I was lucky that he was talking to me. It felt like it was the fucking end of the 1960s and I needed to be like kissing his feet that this white man was interested in me. Get the fuck out of here. And this is why, one of the many fucking reasons why I don't date white. But let me fucking focus because that's neither here nor there. I made it a point to surround myself with people of color while in college. I was part of the Black Student Union, the Latino Student Union, the African Caribbean Club, and just pretty much all brown and black things because in a space like that, I really just needed community. Now, although it seems like I really just hate white people, number one, hate is a strong word, so that's not entirely true. But number two, remember, there are dope white people that exist. So let me get into that because that's a real, real thing. So Amanda Seals, the actress, comedian, and entertainer, did a great job at explaining this concept. She said there are white people versus people who happen to be white. And this, my friends, is a huge difference. So let's start with white people. Most white people are just white people. And what constitutes them as that is that they uphold white supremacist norms and are not actually trying to do anything to combat racism because they either don't give a fuck, don't think it exists, or like all things for white people, it doesn't impact them, so it's irrelevant. And those are the people I've been talking about this whole time. But then there are people who happen to be white 
And those are the people I've been referring to as the dope white people. These people acknowledge that racism exists and are actively doing shit to combat it, like using their privilege to provide historically oppressed groups of people with platforms that aren't as readily accessible to them because of the lack of racial privilege. Or they use their positions of powers to empower disenfranchised groups of people. Or they shut the fuck up when black and brown people are discussing their strifes or challenges about other white people. They also put themselves on the line when they know their privilege could save a life or be better received than a person's of colors would be in that same position. And that's what makes a dope white person or what Amanda would call a person who happens to be white. And because we live in a country where the construct of race is still alive and white people make up a huge part of the population, I personally find it to be a really useful skill to be able to differentiate between the two. Because mi gente, I have come to learn all white people are not the devil, just like all skin folk are not kin folk. I'd be a hypocrite if I was saying all of this and didn't have some dope white people in my life, myself. So surprise, I do. Remember, I told y'all about my madrina. So what makes her dope? Well, first off, she's always believed in my potential regardless of my racial background. She's always advocated for me in spaces that I was not in. She's used her whiteness to grant me access to resources that I otherwise might have not have had access to myself. She's always open to listening me discuss the shit I feel about white people and disconstructive criticism I have about white people or what I think white people need to do better. We're always aligned morally and politically because that would be a fucking problem if we weren't. And she be talking to her other little white homegirls about real shit. But most importantly, I trust that my madrina always has my best intentions in mind and my safety in mind. Listen, she does not play with my safety. I'm a whole grown up. And recently, we actually just went to a wine shop and she bought a few bottles. And instead of just putting them in the car, like in the back seat, she put them in the trunk because I was driving. And she talked to me about like getting pulled over. And if we were to get pulled over, she didn't want the cops to have access to see alcohol with a brown or black girl driving. She stays thinking about shit like that. She also loves to buy black. I have told her about the artist Reina Noriega and boom, next thing you know, she's bought her art, her t-shirts. My madrina is really the shit. Then there are my two best friends who happen to be white dope women too, Leah and Nicole. And that's it, y'all. Those are my dope white people. I've capped mine at three because those three people have proven to me time and time again that I can trust them and that their whiteness is not an obstacle in our relationship. They've never done anything to betray my trust through their whiteness. So yes, peeps, it's possible to be cool with white people. You just gotta find the dope ones. On this special episode, follow me and Leah on how regardless of her whiteness, our friendship was still able to flourish beautifully. World, today I have with us one of my bestest, greatest friends in the whole wide world, Leah. Okay, Leah, 
Let's tell the world how we met. Hello, world. So I met Miss Michelle when we were early college for her, little later college for me. We met in a Spanish class, and we slowly became acquaintances then. But later, we had a similar location class, and we passed each other every day. And she was the highlight of my morning, just saying hello to her in the hall. And then, after a million times of saying hello to each other, we decided we needed to be best friends. And from there on out, that's that was life. I feel like both of us kind of like fed off of each other's yes, energies. A hundred percent. Yes. Because like I feel like a lot of my other friends who I've already like had on the podcast, like I'm always like, and I pursued them. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like you're you're one of the friends who like you equally were like hundred percent. Literally, too. my first memory was you, like, I was like, oh, I know that girl from my Spanish class, because she was always so fabulous walking through the big square in the middle of campus, and she just was always super fashionable. Like, I, you probably don't think of yourself as that way, but, like, I was like, no. this girl on point at all times, and I was like, I want to be her friend, and then, yeah, totally mutual You know what pursuing. it was, though? <laughs> you know what it was is that I I think at our school I feel like I wasn't wearing like North Faces and fucking like yes lum- black lumberjack at all t- shit hundred percent all the time. Yes. So like yeah, so I think that that stands out in a place like when you go to school in the Pacific Northwest. Because, and we're just like, like raincoats, black raincoats and coat. boots and shit. Yeah. And so like if someone's yes. not wearing that, you're like, wait, what do you Who, do? Where are you? you from? You're Who fun. Are you? Yes, hundred <laughs> yeah, like, percent. Yes. Yeah, but your smile was just so like oh totally. We were both just like infectious. We is that the word? It is the word. And we were yeah, a hundred percent like life is great at all times. And so yeah, it was that. It was totally that. Like smiley face in the crowd of grumpies. So yeah. Yes, yes. Everyone was so grumpy because we went to school <laughs> it was in a cold. place where it rains a lot and it's yeah. cold and it's dreary. And I yeah. feel like Leah was always smiling and shit. So I need to be sunshine friend. Yeah, sunshine friend. So Leah, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am about to go on my thirty second around the sun trip, and Yay. I woo. And I am a bilingual immersion, Spanish immersion teacher. Which is the fucking shit. Uh, I mean, I'm like, is there anything more to me other than that's all I do and think about? <laughs> My husband lives in Spain. He's from Ecuador. Ooh. He's a fellow ñañito. He's that's a fellow ñañito. Yeah, so that was just a fun twist of fate. So basically between my friends, my husband on the other side of the world, and my students and my family, that's basically me. I'm just a big ball of love and... Where are you from yeah. and stuff? And what are so your pronouns I, and how do you identify? Okay, so my pronouns are she and her. I'm from north of Seattle and kind of in a small town, farming town. And I currently live where I'm from, which is something I never, ever thought I would do after 18. Crazy. But you know what? Life is weird and it does big circles and I'm here for now. <laughs> and how do you identify racially? Oh, oh, I was like, didn't we already do that one? Um, (laughs) He was like, I can be more specific if you want. (laughs) I identify as a person who happens to be white because we like to make a distinction. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, everybody. 
So yeah, I, I would definitely say that we pretty instantaneously became friends. I think the fact that Leah spoke Spanish at the fluency that she did was really important to me. Or like, not important, but like stood out because Leah is white. And we'll go more into, obviously I, I talked about this earlier in the podcast, the different their differentiation between being you know, a white person and a dope white person and a person who happens to be white, right? At the time, I didn't know any of this. So Leah just is white, right? Mm-hmm. And so, at, but then she opened her mouth in Spanish class was like fluent. It wasn't some of our, our other classmates who like had accents or any of these things. You sounded like you spoke Spanish. And I was, wait, what the fuck? It was really v- yeah. very confusing, confusing. to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, your name also, right? Like, so I was just kind of like, oh, I don't think she's Latina, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I don't think. Unless she's got one in one in one or, like, what's happening? Yes, yes. I'm just kind of like, wait, what's happening? Once we, like, got to know each other, right from the jump, I think something that stood out to me as well is that unlike a lot of the people of color that I was going to school with or that were around me, you weren't making assumptions about what I was. I think sometimes people of color, there wasn't like a need to box me in. And I think for, for people mm. of color, we do this out of preservation, right? We, we yeah. do it to find our own, especially in a, in a school like the one we went to that was yeah. predominantly white. We needed to find community within 100%. Like as another. quick as possible. That's the easiest way Exactly. To yeah. And mm-hmm. so like, I think it was really easy for Latino people and also just black folk to be like, oh, one or the other, she's yeah. this mm-hmm. or she's that but I think even the fact that you were white was why you didn't do that I think it allowed me to feel the most seen by you sometimes Mm -hmm. like just being able to be like fully Ecuadorian fully Dominican fully black fully Afro-Latina yeah and also because I never was like hey what are you like that wasn't yeah that wasn't a question that wasn't like I need to know that like I was like I know that'll come out because I'm gonna get to know you and I I like you and I want to be around you so like that'll come but that wasn't like oh I need to know yeah that wasn't some necessity for you yeah Yeah, I wasn't confused about who you are I just you're Michelle and all the rest will come yes And it'll come, exactly. And I think that slowly but surely we realized we had a lot more in common than I would have ever imagined we would have had in common. I think running is something that you really made prevalent in my life. I used to run in high school. And so like, that was just something that you just re-sparked in Mm. my life. And like, that's cool. Like this person I can run with. And like, we ran all the time. And then I think another huge thing is the fact that out of all my friends, I would definitely say you're one of the friends that feels feelings the same way that I do. I think you're like an empath in the same capacity that I am. Your highs are high like mine and your lows are low like mine. And you know, we get angry and like whatever. We definitely have the same kind of passion when it comes to our feelings. So yeah, yeah, that's why we're friends. That's so why we're friends and so many more things, but yes. So, you know, I think this is a highly anticipated conversation because I think for some people who like know me and maybe some people who don't know me and like get to know me, there's this like misconception that I really, really just like don't fuck with white people. And I guess there's that's not a total misconception. That's kind of accurate. However, however, I always have to like clear up the fact that I'm like, no, but I actually like 
do fuck with some white people and like I have some really close white people in my life and Nicole's not here with us today but Nicole's another one of my really really close best friends and she's also a woman who happens to be white I would call her dope white girl and she's sick and she would have loved to be here and similar to like the story of Leah her and I have so much in common I just identify her as someone who happens to be white but like she's dope as fuck However, I will say that I think you you guys are my only two white friends, literally. And I think everybody else that's white that I like associate with or know outside of like my godmom are just acquaintances or like yeah. people that I just like am like okay with, but not someone that I like for real, for real trust. Just to start off, you know, some deep shit. So growing up white... Did you feel you had culture and what did that look like for you? I think that's a super interesting question. And I think especially because I grew up in a community that was 50% Mexican, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. you're growing up in a community that has really, really rich cultura mexicana, right? Like it's everywhere you look. So I think being a person who happens to be white and seeing this really fresh like culture like from the origin place then really being kind of exploded in our community, you definitely feel a sense of lacking of culture, right? Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. then as you get older and as, you know, I'm a teacher in this community of these people, you realize that culture is many things, right? So culture is your, your family values. Culture is your family history, your lineage, you know, where you come from and those kinds of things. And it's not just the music, the, the food, the dancing, the language or whatever. It's all of the things. So with that being said, I think that As a young person who spent a lot of time in my Mexican friends' households, I loved seeing that their culture so prevalent, right? But then it also helped me be like, oh, well, you know, like we're Scotch-Irish, so, you know, come from, you know, farmers and poor, you know, people, you know, who dealt with a lot of strife, but super resilient, family-oriented, really, like you said, really fiery, really passionate people. So I- Like you connected to your ethnicity. Totally. And I, and I think that I also felt a lot of common ground with those family values. And then especially with my friends and although it's different, but like the deep stuff was super similar, you know, really tight family bonds, hard, really hardworking, you know, really a lot of connections that I was like, Oh, like, that's why these people feel really close to me because it's super close to how I was raised too. my parents. They did a, they tried, you know, I did like, you know, Highland dancing when I was younger. So like I had those kind of ties, but it's not the same, you know, it's not the same when, you know, your family, you know, immigrated here a really long time ago than it is for people who it's more fresh. So did you grow up around, well, you just said this, you know, did you grow up around people of color and what were your thoughts about them? But like, you didn't answer yeah. that part, right? Like, I didn't. What were your I, thoughts no. about people of color and like, were they your friends growing up? And what did your family say about people of color? Like, do you remember your thoughts? And, and this is both like your immediate family. So yes, definitely grew up around people of color. Like I said, primarily Mexican friends, you know, as a little, little kid, my best friend, my first friend was Columbia. Colombian. Um, I think about like, I think it was like my fourth grade birthday party and literally like the people I was allowed to invite like four people, right? So it was like Eb, so half black, half yes. Mexican, this other <laughs> little Mexican girl, another one from Guam and me. So like that was my, that was my fourth grade birthday party, you know? Oh so. yeah, because fun fact, listeners, 
Mia is actually childhood friends with one of my other best friends, Eb, who was on episode one. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. So going. super funny. And then my mom actually worked at our elementary school. So she knew, you know, all of these kids, all their parents. So people of color will definitely something that were a part of my life since literally day one. Also, my parents. So like you were asking about kind of extended family, whatnot. So actually, like, it's just my immediate family here and the rest of my family is in Oregon. And so we kind of had an adopted family. My parents were a part of this activism advocacy group, which was made up with a lot of our Latino community leaders, like LGBT. I mean, back then it was just basically just a couple of letters. They all, the, all the letters didn't get added yet. <laughs> it was just like LGBT. It was, it was just like some, this, you know, some sweet little, you know, really old, you know, gay men and lesbian women. And then we also yeah. had some tribal members were also part of this this group. And basically what they did was just advocate for. So we did like a lot of farm workers marches and just basically any kind of protest that needed to be done. This sweet little community that kind of became like my our extended family here. So, yeah, those were those were like my, you know, in quote, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see, but I'm doing air quotes. You know, Theos yeah. and Theas and kind of adopted family members. And so, yeah, so definitely people of color talk very strongly about my dislike for whiteness a lot. And so I think sometimes when I'm like, no, but one of my best friends, two of my best friends are white. However, there's a reason why. <laughs> yes, I'm like, yeah. particularly when I'm talking about Leah, I'm like, no, no, no. But her family's been with the shit since day one. Day one. They've been marching. They've been out here with the shits forever. That's yeah. the environment that Leah grew up in. So I'm like, yes. of course we would fucking get along. Right. No shit. They were like, what it, this, this wasn't like some realization that I had like, a year ago later like other in people, life like no exactly this was like, no. Yeah. like you literally were a little kid when your parents were taking you out to protest and shit yeah. and so like that 100%. was like really part of their everyday life which is yeah. dope as fuck yeah i feel super lucky i mean honest i think i have a harder time identifying i have a hard a hundred percent harder time identifying with just white people in general because that wasn't i you always think that like oh wait but isn't everyone like me no the fuck they're not like me you know and so no, it's they're ha- not am i allowed to say that i'm sorry no way first yeah, grade teacher curse. so can i curse that's okay, okay. sorry time. okay cool yeah. Okay. No, but I think it's true. I think also Amanda Seals actually talks about this in her work mm. and in her podcast. And she talks about, I think, people who happen to be white versus white people. I think after you get to a level of just understanding yourself and just exploring, I guess, fighting racism, right? And all this shit, I think you get to a point where, yeah, there is some kind of, I don't know if I identify fully with all white people like that. However, you have to acknowledge that the that same you are, that- yeah. That you are, you yeah. are, you, those are 100%. your peoples the same way that all black people are my peoples and all Latino right. people are my peoples, while all white people is, is your peoples, and yeah. those ancestors is your ancestors, the mm-hmm. same way my ancestors yeah. are my ancestors, you know, you mm-hmm. have to, like, recognize those things, but yeah, there is a level of disconnect, you know, I get that. For sure, and then, I mean, that's to be said, like you said about all those groups, you know, there's a yes. big, huge, wide range of, you know, understanding, collective understanding that, you know, is different, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you ever remember a time where you were around family or other white people that wasn't necessarily family Mm -hmm. and they began having like negative narratives about people of color and what did that feel like for you? How old were you? 
Yeah, a hundred percent. So not in my, like I said, not in my family, even in my extended family, because thankfully they are super like-minded and our family's pretty small. Really the people that we spend time with is small. So, so not in my family, but yes, in general. And I would say one of the biggest moments for me, so it was probably early college. I was doing a practicum up in a school. So I was working in the classroom. The lead teacher of the classroom was like, can you work with this student? So they were a newcomer from Mexico, from Oaxaca. They, you know, just got there. And the teacher was like, hey, can you work with the student? He doesn't understand anything. And I was like, mm, okay, I will 100% work this student, but that's not an okay thing to say, right? So yeah. work with the student. And he clearly, you know, I started was like, okay, well, I'll just like speak a little Spanish, like, to, you know, ask him the questions in Spanish and see how he does. And he did amazing. So then I talked to the teacher and I was like, you know, that was a hurtful thing for you to say about the student around the student. Number one, probably because he knows, he can sense that that's what, how you feel about him or what you're saying about him he very well might be able to understand or whether he can answer you or not I don't know but I just didn't appreciate that and that's a really mild example but that's just kind of like the first one that came to mind in yeah. which was and kind also of... he fucking did know he of just course. didn't know it in the language that you were expecting him to exactly so that it... automatically made yes. you think that he just didn't know it like exactly that happens so much so all the time so much. you know this because you work in bilingual education yes. so yes. like there's this concept i was i talked about this in like a previous episode i was mm -hmm. placed in esl at first yeah so were a lot of people that i knew and friends and yep. shit there's this idea that because you can't speak the language that for some reason you're not as smart and i'm like no no no, hold the fuck up because like i have also, a whole brain of knowledge in here no, but not only that not only that let me just keep it all the way fucking real latin america is light years ahead of american education 100%. okay so like 100%. when people are immigrating from latin america if they have fulfilled education out there they're coming over here and like having to become dumber right Amen. dumber is not a word but they, they are i've got another example to, yes literally they have to regress 100%. Fucking, especially in math. Especially in math. Yep. Like, you're literally like, wait, you guys are learning this in fifth grade? I've been learning that shit in first or second grade. What the fuck? 100%. So it's always, it always pisses me off when, oh, like, yeah. especially white teachers, oh, they he doesn't don't know. know anything. Blah, 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 blah. Like, fuck shut you, the lady. fuck up. Say that shit in Spanish, bitch. Like, shut yep. up. You know? So that was, I think, one of the things that just, like, I was so angry at that person for saying that in general and was like, this is happening all of the time. And then it made me be like, holy fuck. I grew up with so many classmates that were newcomers, whatever, like just here. And then those are their teachers. What the fuck? Something is so wrong with that. So that was like my number one reason why like I have to be a bilingual teacher. Like, and I never had the intention of being a Spanish or bilingual teacher. I just was like, I got to be bilingual because I got to help these kids in the yeah. language that they deserve to be taught in or at least connected to. That was just an example. But definitely I, you know, let her know that like when you talk, when you think those things and then you say them out loud, like people internalize that and like that is what you're giving them. And is that who you want to be? So anyway, we had a conversation about it and, you know, it was that was that. And that, my friends, is using your privilege to fucking fight privilege yeah. okay those are the conversations people who happen to be white have to have with white people like yeah. you're supposed to do that shit it is not 
that little kid's job, not nope. that mother's job, nope. not my fucking job, nope. not another person of color's job to have that conversation with that fucking white teacher. It is someone's job like Leah's job to have that conversation. Why? Because unfortunately, it's going to be better received and mm-hmm. privilege is the fucking reason why that's going to be better received yeah. coming from Leah. And yep. so like that is a moment when Leah has to say some shit and she did. So yeah. thank you for using your privilege. You're welcome, but I think you, you know, there's a other part of the question, but like, when do you do that or whatever? Or when there was there an example of doing that? But I feel like that's just like you were saying, that's just like anytime, any little comment, because they're usually little comments, but like yeah, any little, little comment, little microaggressions here and there, but like anytime it's a little comment, like if people are saying it, you know, they're saying it. A lot because that's just like a casual thing that came out of her mouth exactly which means that nobody's checking that because she just is doing it because you've gotten away with saying it so fucking much that it's just yes. coming out your mouth like it's not like it's problem. no big deal yeah and so i think that for me i'm the kind of person that uh, anybody who knows me they know honestly kind of i mean don't be careful about what you're gonna say but i'm gonna come at you no matter what you say so just be ready i guess because that's just how you have to be at the grocery store on a bus, you know, in a van with people you don't know very well. Like literally at any moment, you just, you can't just sit there and be like, ooh, that was a shitty comment. Like, nope, say something about it. So period. Thank you. When did you realize you had white privilege, but to be very specific, white woman privilege, because I think that's very, like, that's an important distinction to make in this conversation. Because like, as, as you know, I think that this country, they see your tears very different than my tears and like your pain very different than my pain. We've seen time and time again, the power, I mean, white men hold hella power. So I don't want to discredit that. Right. But I think there's a power that white women hold in this country that is undeniable it's catered to right there's like there's a whole fucking thing like on white woman tears and like what that really means in like society and there's been just so many freaking lives taken due to that shit but yeah when did you realize you had that okay so i think first you ask you know when did i realize i had white privilege and i want to i mean i think i was like six or seven, like right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I think we were learning about, and I can't remember if this was like at home or at school or whatever. I don't remember the circumstance, but I do remember it was like, it was like the Ru- Ruby Bridges story, right? So mm-hmm. I remember crying in my backyard, like distinct memory, just like sobbing, thinking how it was so unfair, how that was so recent. That was just like yesterday, you know, yeah. that, that, this was happening and it is happening and that I could see that it was still happening because I had obviously black kids in my class and I saw how they were treated compared to me and that shit hurt my heart and I just couldn't get over it and I think that I don't I think we're shielded from that a lot of I mean white kids are shielded from that right Black yeah, kids aren't because sure. you you feel that since the day you're on the street and you're, you know, as yeah. soon as you have consciousness, right? But I think, I don't think it's the most common thing as like a little, little kid, white kid to feel the pain of that, I remember. No, no, that's why I think this is fucking crazy. At six years old, yeah. I was getting called the N-word. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the type of shit 
the six-year-olds around me were doing, right? They right. were they weren't conscious of fucking what the differences between what, yeah. white and black. They were they were just like Using my it. mommy and daddy say the n-word. You fit the box of who yeah. I should say that shit to. Yes. So I am gonna use that and I'm gonna say it to you. And and I'm hearing this from these other white folks. So I'm going to do it too, right? Yeah. I'm like so to be able to have the opposite experience and be like. Wait, there's like little black kids who are like hurt and in pain and like that's not cool. Like what the yeah. fuck? Like ouch, that hurts. Like that's not nice. That's mm-hmm. the opposite experience yeah. of what most kids are going through, you know, yeah. at that age in in, in terms yeah. of being white. And I just remember feeling like at that moment I was like, "Oh my god, I have I it was like the, the thought process through my head was like none of us choose what body we're born into." But mm-hmm. I was born into this white body and all these other little kids and babies are born into this black body that nobody has any control over that. Yet yeah. I'm treated differently and I will be for the rest of my life. And there's nothing I can do about that other than to, you know, be an advocate, be an ally moving forward. But I knew it was strange to have those feelings. But then as I got older, I kept getting so angry that that just wasn't everybody's feeling, you know? Yes, we've had this conversation a lot. Let's start with the fact that race is a fucking social construct, okay? Like, fuck, let's just go there, okay? Let's just talk about this is a made up, this is made up. Yep. This is made the fuck up. This is not real. However, 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 it has real fucking consequences, right? But what sucks about it is that when I say it's not a real thing, what I'm trying to say is that Sometimes when I think about white people, the decisions they decide to make based off of this social construct, I'm like, where's your fucking humanity, fam? 100%. And this is why Malcolm X decided to go with his fucking radical ass saying, talking about white people are the devil. Like, you get what I'm yes. saying? Because he, like, literally, yes. he literally is sitting here like, it, it literally takes someone to not have a heart to sometimes to, do the shit that yes, you're doing. yes. And honestly, that's not even a radical thought. Literally, that's my thought every day, that if a white person isn't using every ounce of their being to fight this, they are the devil. Fuck those motherfuckers. Excuse me. It's (laughs) just like, that's what I'm saying. And sometimes I have to hold back from just like fully going that way because I feel like... Do that. Say that. But do that. What were we saying? Well... Uh, just about how most white people are the devil. So let's just go there. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, but no, like, but yes. Honestly, That's though. That's real shit, and I it, feel like it, it is. Malcolm said what he said. He did, and I don't blame him or feel negative about that comment at all. And I think if people do, then it's like, what the fuck are you doing wrong with your life? That that, like, is also, offensive to you. That's offensive to you. That's what the fuck. Listen, listen. And listeners, if you are white and are listening to this, identify as white, happen to be white, any of the white things, if you're offended after you listen to this, you're there's there's a reason why you're offended. Yes. Because you can't identify with someone who happens to be white. That means you identify with full-blown whiteness, and that means you're upholding white supremacy and just continuing to be fucking racist. And so that's yes. why you're offended, because otherwise... You wouldn't be offended. This, oh, you wouldn't be offended. <laughs> this would not be offensive. You would agree. So... 
you yeah. would just be like, oh yeah, she's speaking some shit. Like, you know? So yeah, but that's why Malcolm said what the fuck he said. Okay. Yes. So period. What about white woman privilege? Because I think that's different right okay the second part to the question yes so that like i said told you the first story second story that i didn't realize until later so that's you know maybe i feel like maybe let's talk probably like women march time and the reason why wait, i say when all like the white, white yes. when all white women yes. are wearing the pussy the pussy hats yes. the vagina yes. hats Yes. Okay. Okay. We're going to go there because I felt a little irritated because, yes, women's reproductive rights, right, is a problem. This is a problem. However, it felt like white women to me, what I was kind of seeing was it was like white women and every other kind of woman are on this equal playing field and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, um, no, no. So I kind of felt... That's when I started to realize that that was a different thing then. Because it, it was. Fucking is. And it is. And it just has been like a, you know, a point of where, you know, you make a face and you're like, ooh, like, I think we, we have to have a conversation about that, right? So, again, another, you know, just another time to have a conversation. So, yeah, that would be when yeah. I, that, and then it just, you know, it's just another opportunity to check yourself and, I was never one of those that was just like, well, you know me. I'm just like, I'm a listener. I'm a humble person. I'm not somebody who makes anything about me ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I no, think that, been. so I think that that was just kind of a point where it kind of sparked my interest and be like, what's happening here? Like, how are we going to talk about this situation? But, but that's when I realized just like, just another layer of like, extra how to extra be careful to not you know and if i'm completely honest i've been thinking about this a lot i think i have a friend i have a friend who i talk to this about the most because she is part of the lgbtqia community Mm -hmm. and i talk to her about my feelings about feminism right and just how i've never identified as a feminist Mm-hmm. That's never something I've just openly said. Like, I've never sure. been like, I'm a feminist. Right. right. And it's not because I'm not a feminist. Correct. Because feminism just really means believing that both genders should stand at an equal platform. Right. right. Like, and, and that's what feminism is. Yes. However, feminism in this country in particular has been led by white women. Yeah. And for white women. And in the benefit of white women. And through the lens of white women. I'll be very specific too. I think that sometimes I had a hard time relating to feminism in white women context. Sure. Because like I was like, well, some of those ideals I totally like agree, agree with. with I yeah. don't, because I don't agree with like, me- I don't agree with patriarchy, right? Like I don't right. agree with like fucking bullshit. If those are the two choices, that's not right. the one you're going to go with. Exactly, right? Yeah. If my choices are patriarchy or, or feminism, feminism, like then then sure, we're going feminism. But if we're going to go with how certain things affect white women versus how they affect other women like and women of color in this country we're not talking about the same shit you know what i'm saying because at the end of the day and we can just go there and like bring up a very specific thing that all of us know right when a white woman goes to the doctor 
that experience is very different than like when I fucking go to the doctor and when black women go to the doctor, right? Yeah. White women will go to the doctor and get a list celebrity treatment. When I go to the doctor or like my black sisters go to the doctor, our pain is being questioned. We're dying while giving fucking birth and shit. Like, you know, like people in other countries, unless they're third world countries because they don't have the fucking medicine, right? Right? Like, listen to this shit. This is fucking crazy. People in third world countries who don't have medicine, they are dying. But people who have developed countries like our own, no one dies in childbirth. Except that's not a theory. thing yeah but in america yeah. but in america they still are people yeah. die and who dies black women die yes. and that's a huge discrepancy it is from white women yeah because like honestly like yes we're concerned about like reproductive rights but okay first priority should be a bunch of fucking women are dying like if that's not the number one thing that's being talked about that's a fucking problem. And it's not the number one thing that's being talked about amongst white feminists. So I think that just, like, is a fucking problem. It is a fucking problem. And, and and we can even bring it to, like, we can even bring it to, like, fucking most recent terms. Like, these bills that were just passed in fucking yeah. Texas and Georgia for, yeah. like, these abortion bills, right? Women are no longer allowed to have abortions after six weeks in both Texas mm-hmm. and Georgia, I can't help but think who the fuck this is going to affect. The reality of it is, is, yeah, sure, that's not to say that, w- like, white women aren't going to be affected. That's not what the fuck I'm no, saying. No, that's just will. not. Yeah. But who's going to be affected by this at a higher rate? Uh, Black and brown women. Absolutely yeah. the fuck, the fuck it is. Like, yeah. the, the, this is what the fuck is going to happen. Yeah. And that, mm-hmm. and who's going to die? while trying to get under black market, underground abortions in those Mm -hmm. two states, black and brown women. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen. Yes. And like you said, they're already disproportionately dying just in normal time. So like you add that layer and I 100% feel that of like not wanting to, you know, identify, you know, as a feminist, whatever, because if like those aren't the top things on the list, then that's hard to... Then your feminism isn't for me, right? Your feminism isn't intersectional and like then I want no parts of that shit. And so then that makes it hard for me to identify with that shit. I believe in feminist shit. Yes. I do. There's like feminist shit that I'm with the shits because duh, right? Yeah. Then, but I don't know. Feminism to me is still like a hard. It's a hard. What is that? What I'm really bad at these things. A hard, a hard pill to swallow. Pill to swallow. Is that there the you way? Go. Yeah, I got I that was one. Thinking about, that's a good one. But what? What? What about the line to toggle? Did I? Oh, I don't know that, that one. I don't know that one. That's not a real one. I made that up. Sorry, guys. Okay. That's whatever. It's all good. <laughs> that's not real. It's all good. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Fun nugget. Do you remember a time when you might have done some white people shit? And what was it? So I've been trying for two days to like think of a time. And I personally cannot think of one. But like I said, I feel like I've been hyper aware since I was age six. So like I was not about to fucking say something to hurt anybody. I will at all costs try to not hurt someone because if I hurt someone, then I fucking hurt myself. I'm really careful with my words, but I would like to open it up to you if if you can, you know, fair game. Honestly, Leah, no, because here, this is what I will say, okay? I am not, 
this is fucked up. But I'm going to say it anyway because this is how the fuck I feel. So, listeners, you'll get to know me a little better. <laughs> um, I am not a very forgiving white people person. I'm not. I'm not. Mm. And, like... I forgive people of color at a way higher rate than I forgive white people. And so, like, if you would have done something early on in our friendship, I would have known and or I might have not continued to be friends yeah. or continued yeah. to be your friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because 100%. that would have, to me, that would have broken the trust that it would have taken for us to be friends in the first place. So yeah. I would have been like, eh, that doesn't work for she's me. She's out. Like, yeah. She's out because, because you're my friend. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So yeah. like, if you were like my coworker and you did some dumb white people shit, I'd be like, okay, well, yeah, whatever. I just have to work with you. So it doesn't fucking matter. If I'm choosing to have you in my fucking space, Mm-hmm. I don't have to choose to have you here. Yeah. You could not be in my space. In fact, I feel the opposite. So, like, I don't think you remember these things, but I remember these things. Mm. Really, 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 really very particularly, and I definitely want to share them. There's two instances that I can remember off the top of my head where you did the opposite of white people shit and you did dope white people shit, which well, I already made that distinction. I remember we were going mm-hmm. to, what was that um, place that we used to, was it called the Underground? That Probably. Club? That was one of them. Probably. Glow. That was one glow. of them. I don't fucking glow. Underground. Buffalo. <laughs> I don't know. All of them shit. So we used to just go party in these clubs. Fine. And this was in, in college and stuff. I literally remember we were with your friends and like Leah pretty much only has brown friends. She actually has two white girlfriends that I'm aware of that are like her closest friends. But then for the most part, most of her friends are girls of color. At least the ones that she was hanging out with in college. And so she was the only white girl with us, basically, and it was all of us of color. And I remember the bouncer was giving us a really hard time. And at that time, I had a fake ID. And in fact, (laughs) I had my friend's fake ID, who's also just, yeah, she's one of my best friends. The bouncer was white. And like, it was one of my first times going out with this fake ID because I was being a little like rebelde or whatever. (laughs) And Leah was there. I just remember her being like, hey, like, let me handle the bouncer. Follow my lead. Just taking reins over this. And like, mind you guys, like, I was very naive in college, super innocent, like, didn't drink. Don't, I still don't drink. Just didn't do a lot of shit, you know? Leah was just kind of very aware of spaces. And she, it just seemed like the bouncer was already being kind of a dick in general to like other people who were going into the club. And Mm -hmm. so Leah was like, I'm just gonna like, it's just gonna be me. And I'm gonna do this. And like, I'll, I'll go first, you know? And honestly, I feel like Leah was always just very aware of like, when to like white women shit certain situations like in this moment my whiteness is going to grant and then leah's hella bubbly as fuck so like (laughs) not only is she white but like she can go up there and be like hi like you know and that's literally leah's personality so it's very palpable it just is (laughs) leah is friendly she's bubbly and in this case she's white 
there's all these fucking brown girls next to her. Like, she is going to be the more palpable one to this one big-ass white bouncer who looks like a biker man, you know? And, like, I <laughs> specifically remember you being like, I'm going to do this. And I don't know if you, like, subconsciously knew, like, that you were doing it because you were white or if you were just did it because, like, that's just who you are. Yeah, I honestly, yeah. Like, I just remember that. And then I remember you did the same shit at a restaurant. We went to a, a, a restaurant one time and I, listen, where we went to school wasn't super upscale. It's not like we fucking had fancy money like that. I just remember <laughs> this wasn't, it wasn't a Mexican restaurant. We had gone to something else that was like, had more mm-hmm. white people in it. The waitress and or waiter were being not very friendly. You kind of took that shit over too. And you were just kind of like, uh, I'm just going to talk to them. And I think that was another moment where you were just kind of like, I'm going to use this whiteness in this space, this white privilege that I have to not let it be your burden to have to take care of this because I don't know what that'll look like for you. Those were moments that stood out to me that I was, see, this is why I fuck with you. Because whether it's conscious or subconscious, those things matter to me. That's how you put yourself on the line without it being having to be this huge explicit thing all the time. Sure. Yeah, and I think for me and for you and for just anybody who I care about, like I care about you like you're myself, you know, and you're my family. And I think that I'm just the kind of person that's like everybody who I'm with, I want them to be good and great at, at, at every moment. And I think if there's any um, moment of discomfort or something, that should never be on you or anybody because I'm there. And if I can fix it, let me fix it. Like, I just want to fix anything that's a problem. And I think that, you know, I'm a protector through and through. It's like not something you think about. You just do. Like you said, like I, I think, you know, you're saying this and I'm like, I'm like, don't really have any memories because it's, but it does sound like something I would do. I would just yeah. fix any problem you ever had, you know? So. Yeah. Do you think, and I feel like this is like, a, I don't know if this is harder for you to answer or not, but like, I think about this mm-hmm. a lot. Okay. Do you ever find it difficult at times being friends with me, like, in all honesty, given my feelings about white people or knowing that, like, you and Nicole and my madrina are the only white people that I've chosen to have in my life? No, I think this is a really important question, and I think a really important question for white people specifically who are listening, because when you're friends of color talk about the pain that they feel about that other white people have inflicted on them. That is not a time for you to be offended. That's not a time. That's a time for you to listen to them. And and if you want to take it personally, if you need to take whatever, but like if you think about the amount of microaggressions and aggressive behavior that people <laughs> and, and macro aggression. And macro I'm like we're, they were they, everyone says micro and I'm like shit half of this shit isn't even micro, okay? So whatever. <laughs> anyway, the the amount of times in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year that people, white people, make painful little comments or big comments. So if your friend of color is talking about how much they hate white people today, that's not a time for you to be offended. That's a time for you to gain some empathy. That's a time for you to say, ooh, I feel offended. Yeah, you should be offended at the same rate. So the, the basically my point is, is anytime your friends of color need to talk about how they hate white people today, and if that offends you a little bit, I hope you are offended. And, and there's been times when 
you know, in my heart, like, I want to feel that pain because that helps me build empathy towards people of color and the, the things that they have to deal with every single day. So I'm grateful. I'm not, it's not hard for me. I'm grateful for that. Aww. You're so sweet. I love you so much. You're I love my you fucking so friend, you guys. Hmm. <sighs> You're the best. Hmm. I love you. So keep saying love, it. Keep, I love you keep, too. keep, keep that coming out of your mouth, baby. And don't ever, because um, it is worry, hard worry about, but don't worry about that because if people can't hear that and then realize that that's what happens to people every day, like, fuck, somebody made a comment. I don't like white people today. Go cry about it. Like, you know, yeah. but cry about it because that is a little ass comment mm-hmm. that isn't painful. It's painful when people are constantly. So it's like, I just don't understand, like. You just are you in the world and people make little comments and say rude things to you. You don't deserve that. That's not mm-hmm. something you can change. Or, well, you know, right. people, well, I can't change it. I'm like, well, yeah, they can't fucking change it. They're every other color that's discriminated against. So yeah, and it's fucking obvi- hard. It <laughs> so it keep is. saying it. And like, I definitely feel like it's funny because like, I've never really at you guys. I've never really asked Leah this question. So that, that's why both of us are sitting here fucking crying and shit. Because I've never really been like, hey, do you find it fucking hard to be my friend? <laughs> like, But, like, no, I obvi- obviously she's still my fucking friend. But, like, I do talk to Leah about me hating white people all the time. And I never sit here. I'll be honest. I'll be honest and say I never sit here too often and be like, I wonder how Leah feels about me talking about white people all the fucking time. Because... I'm angry. And so like, and that isn't something, and Leah knows me and all my friends know me. And that's not something I wouldn't ever do. I would, I always consider my friends feelings, but I think when it comes to whiteness in particular, sometimes that's hard. It's just hard for me to empathize. Leah has always made it feel like a safe space where I can just, the same thing that I talked about my madrina and why she's fucking dope. I've never mm-hmm. felt like I need to filter that shit. I've always felt like I could be like, I can talk to you about why white people fucking suck. Yeah. Because yeah. those are your people and you know why they suck too. You yeah. know, so it, mm-hmm. it's never felt something difficult. But thanks, you're my best friend. You're my best friend too. With my racial identity being such a big part of me, how do you think mm-hmm. our relationship works so seamlessly? You know, having, I guess, these, like, some stark differences, obviously some real close similarities. Ooh, that's, you're a girl. You and the questions. These are so good. These questions so good. (laughs) They're so good. I'm just like, you are amazing. I love you. I might need you to repeat it because I was just so caught up in the beauty of it. It's something to do with, like, how because we're so different, like, how is it that we can have a seamless friendship? With complete opposite racial identities. Yes, and because I feel like, for me, my racial identity is a really big, it's huge part Part of of your life. Yeah. Okay, well, I think for me, you know I'm the type of person that, like, I want to know everything about everyone. Like, we are the kind of people when I meet somebody, we're like that with each other, and we're like that with anybody we meet. Like, I'm not going to have a superficial relationship with somebody... Okay, I'm not going to have a superficial interaction with somebody. If somebody is sitting at 
at or near me and I have to be with them for an extended period of time. Like, I don't want to know anything superficial about you. Like, I want to know your deep everything. So I think that that's why we, we work so well together. Conversations. I don't even know what that is. I'm like, <laughs> I need to know your deepest, like, what are you most shameful about? I want to know that. Like, that's my first like thing I'm going to ask you, which is weird. But like, that's just who we, we are very similar in that way. So I think that that's why we are so close, despite our very different selves. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're deep, deep. We're deep regardless we're, of that shit. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Remember, like, the, remember, like, our Hawaiian friend? Literally, we're like, we need to know everything I about like, your everything. Tell me about all the Hawaiian things in your life. I was yeah. like, I want to know why you don't like your white father. Yeah. And, like, I want to know yeah. why you're in love with your white, and why don't you speak Hawaiian? <laughs> I just met you five minutes ago and I'm probably asking really triggering ass questions. No, but well, the funny thing was because like I'd hung out with that same person like uh, maybe a month ahead of time and like I already knew like almost everything about him. So I was like, yes, I was like, this is just the next layer. Cool. Like, and he was so down with it, which I loved. And I, I know, was like, was you so were amazing. Sweet. He was so sweet. Yeah, Very that sweet. was fun. That was good. That. You know, funny enough, you're married to an immigrant man of color. Do you feel like you have an added responsibility because of that? And if so, what is it? It's an interesting question because, you know, obviously he's my husband and everything, but like also basically all of my best friends come from immigrant Either they are themselves, you know, came immigrated here as as a small child. So I feel like I carry this the same. There's no deeper layer because I'm married to a immigrant man of color. It's I, he carries the kind of the same weight in my heart as all of my friends do too. Yeah. How do you feel like you're combating white supremacy in your life currently? <sighs> That's a good question. Well, I'm fortunate enough to be. A teacher and so I have access to 50 little little minds and all of their families every year and Tell then I get a continued the book that you're about to read That's oh, the best. So, so we found this well I found this amazing book so about Juneteenth but it's in Spanish which is really cool oh so... my fucking goodness you guys did you guys ah. just hear that one more time for the people in the back Leah Leah, a woman who happens to be white she found a book one more time what's it about Leah Juneteenth. And it's in Spanish, which is so and exciting. It's in Spanish! Like, how fucking cool is that? And you can, especially now, you can find a lot of really great books, you know, to, to teach students how to be activists, how to be allies, how to be advocates, but you don't always find them in Spanish. So, which is really important because, as we know, if I'm just sitting there translating a book, that I'm reading in English into Spanish, it has much less power than if I'm reading it from the source, right? In that way. So anyway, it's going to be exciting. But I think that for me, teaching is is, a, is my life. I mean, I think that I think about six-year-old Leah having this realization when I was a little girl about the pain that I knew people who I cared about felt. I want, not that, not that I'm like, I want to make a bunch of six-year-old white kids cry, but really I do. Basically but that's- But actually they should. But actually I do and I should and they should. And literally my, I know I'm doing my best job is if I see that realization happen, that those tears welling up in their eyes, because we're talking about it that frequently in my class. 
so I feel like that's a hundred percent the way that I do it on a daily basis. And then aside from that, anytime I'm out in the world and there is a moment, whether it's I heard something that isn't okay, I say something about it, or I bring it up in just a normal conversation because basically, like Michelle and I were talking about, like I'm not trying to have a non deep conversation with you. So say I'm meeting a white person for the first time, probably gonna slip in there. Okay, how do you how do you how are you? How are you fighting white how supremacy you in your life? And honestly, like and, you know, my parents, my dad is, he just walked by here a couple minutes ago. You know, he's a 67-year-old white man. And the, for the last couple of years, you know, with the whole elections and everything, basic, my dad's retired. So his daily activity was calling any white person he knew and either talking up how are they fighting it in their lives or reaming people a new one who aren't. That was his, like, primary thing to do. So... You know, and so I think I'm really, and we have really important conversations because, you know, I'm a 32-year-old woman who's married to an immigrant who has all basically people of color friends. You know, their their lives are not as colorful as mine. <laughs> but, <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. But I think that, and, you know, big, you know, 30 years, eight, 30 plus years age difference. So the conversations that we have and then those trickle into the, you know, their circles as well, I think are important. And, you know, usually they're right on about stuff, but, you know, life, times change, right? No, it's so. true. And I just want to point out that I, I have to tell you this. Okay, so you just said in this conversation, like, you want to make little white kids cry. I have a <laughs> black and Puerto Rican friend of mine who, like, that's his mission in life is to make white people feel stupid or cry and the fact that you as a white woman this is a black man okay this yeah. black man he like that's his life he's like i love making white people cry and i love making white people feel stupid and the fact that you as a white woman just said the same shit about little kids is just fucking fascinating and that's why we're friends because you just yeah, said the same because... shit that this black man said about right? grown people hey! <laughs> I'm like, that's, you see, I'm just like, that's crazy. But, you know, I think that that's like, I I have, if I had that realization as a little six-year-old, and then this is what has happened in my life, like, I have to create that opportunity for my students, especially my white students, to have that. So, last one. What advice do you have for all the white folk who could possibly be listening right now? Kind of going back to that one thing we talked about earlier, I think my advice is think about ways that you can make people of color feel safe around you. Any way that you're listening, you're speaking, you're navigating spaces with people of color, make sure that whatever you're doing makes them feel safe. Mm -hmm. Be a person that's consistent and that doesn't make people question anything about you and then I think let create a safe place for them to talk about how much how much pain and how they hurt they felt by white people maybe that's your first thing that you talk about you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just put it out there like I recognize that white people hurt you probably more often than you'd like to think about and you know I'm going to prove it to you that I'm not going to be one of those people and, you know, make it known that call it out, you know, or whatever way you can make people feel safe around you do that. That looks a lot of different ways. So that looks like explicit ways that Leah's talking about, but then also like 
Not doing dumb shit. So appropriation, that's dumb shit, okay? Yep. If you're appropriating the culture, that's dumb shit. And that's not going to make people feel safe. (laughs) And and that doesn't make me feel safe. And if you've done that in the past and then like, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I'm not going to trust you because like, why would I? Why would I do that? Yeah. Because you looked at me and my people as a fucking resource as opposed to as fucking your equal. Right. Which if I'm if I'm your resource then I'm your inferior and I'm not with the shits. Mm-hmm. And so that's why mm-hmm. appropriation to me is like, nah, no, we're not doing that shit. That's a yeah. way to betray my trust and fucking that's out the question. Number two, yeah. microaggressions. If you out here using them shits, uh, that's, that's a way to not do that. Like lose people's trust. Mm-hmm. That's not safe. Mm-hmm. Microaggressions. Mm-hmm are that's dumb don't do that shit yeah asking dumb questions don't ask dumb questions there is such a thing as asking like inappropriate dumb questions if we're not morally aligned like if you don't if we can't see why there's a moral problem in what's happening right now on tv people dying black people dying if we're not morally aligned and you're gonna ask me about some dumb shit yeah like, then we're not, don't ask me dumb shit. Don't ask me yeah. dumb shit. That's how you can lose my trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are, like, other things that I think, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. otherwise, then listen to Leah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's 100% you're just, you know, going into detail was what I mean, you know. Just yes. don't make people feel, don't make people feel unsafe. Don't come at any kind of a conversation combatively when you have no fucking idea because you've never walked the world in different skin than the one that you have on your face. Period. That's what I think. Thank you so much, Leah. I am so so proud to call you my dope white friend. You're just fucking cool as fuck, and I Mm. love you so much, and thank you for being on today. I love you. Love you. Racism is the marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. Systemic racism is a combination of systems, institutions, and factors that advantage white people and for people of color causes widespread harm and disadvantages in access and opportunity. One person did not create systemic racism, rather it is grounded in the history of our laws and institutions which were created on a foundation of white supremacy, exists in the institutions and policies that advantage white people and disadvantage people of color, and takes place in the interpersonal communication and behavior that maintains and supports systemic inequities and systemic racism. White privilege is not the suggestion that white people have never struggled, nor that everything a white person has accomplished is unearned. It means having greater access to power and resources than people of color do who are in the exact same situation. An easy example of white privilege is the fact that it would be easy to find a book written by white people and that has white protagonists in it. A more complex example of white privilege is white people being less likely to be followed, interrogated, or searched by law enforcement because they look suspicious.
Some key tips to keep us psychologically healthy through our journey are, and let me start with white people. Don't take it personally or use discomfort as an excuse to disengage. Feelings of guilt or defensiveness are common responses, but are counterproductive. Learn when to listen and when to amplify and when to speak up. When people of color speak to their experience of oppression, it's important for white people not to dominate the conversation or question those experiences. Instead, use your privilege to amplify those voices. Educate yourself, Google, seek out books and articles on the topic written by people of color. Watch documentaries. Educate fellow white people. Share what you've learned. Don't let other white people get away with problematic remarks without holding them accountable. And for my people of color, make sure you can identify dope white people. They will be doing the previously listed items with no prompting. And if they are not doing those things, then they are not dope white people. And they are just white people, like I have been saying throughout the episode. And you should continue to proceed cautiously with awareness and with your guard up. But most of all, love who you are in the skin that you're in because there isn't another you boo. And that's on period. Although I am a licensed social worker, my advice does not replace that advice of a therapist that you may be seeing or a therapist you would like to see in the future. Anyone could be struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. If you are having suicidal feelings, please call 1-800-273-8253. Come back next week and find out how embracing curly hair didn't always come instinctively to this little girl and which bestie I get to deep dive with. See you all next week. Happy listening. Make sure you subscribe, follow, and review Konyu Who Am I wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, you can also find me at Kono Who Am I on Instagram. And that's spelled C-O-N-O because Instagram doesn't believe in Enyes. Tune in next week. Peace, y'all.